Good morning, everyone. My name is Alma Rosa. I'm a junior nursing PJCS sociology major. We would like to start this convocation by asking all of you here to take a moment of silence. To remember those whose lives were lost recently all around the world, we pray for the world to find peace, not lose hope, and for justice and love to persist. On September 26th of last year, 43 students from the rural of Ayotzinapa, a teaching school in Guerrero, south of Mexico, were taken by the local authorities. Up to now, their parents and the rest of the world don't know what has happened to them. Last year, in the midst of their disappearance, we made a convocation to bring awareness to our campus. Today, we are here to honor them by continuing their fight against injustice. Here is a snapshot of who the 43 are and what happened in Ayotzinapa, Guerrero. Fue correr lo más, lo más rápido que pude a esconderme. Ahí fue donde cae el compañero Aldo Gutiérrez. Él, o sea, cuando empezaron a disparar, cayó, inmediatamente le pegaron un tiro en la cabeza. Desde entonces se ha emprendido una, una gran lucha. En Guerrero, 43 students have been missing since September 26, 2014. The young men were returning from a protest in the city of Iguala when municipal police opened fire on a convoy of buses the group had commandeered. They were studying at a rural teacher training college known as Escuela Normal Rural de Ayotzinapa, which has a history of left-wing political activism. El, el se llama Saúl Bruno García. Además, que, o sea, mi mejor amigo porque pues, él dormía a un lado de mí. Yo me gusta que me digan Jul, dice, porque pues, él tiene muchísima fuerza. O sea, se levantaba a, a dos chavos así juntos y hacer ejercicio. Era muy, muy carismático el compa, muy buena onda, entrado en el desmadre. Desmadre así un poco medio pesadito conmigo. Tenía un chingo de planes con ese compa. Hay a veces oigo algún ruido en la calle, pues yo me levanto pensando pues que mi hijo en cualquier momento puede llegar. Y mi hijo Cristian Rodríguez del Umbre está haciendo falta y, y que no se sienta solo, que su padre, su mamá, sus hermanos lo estamos buscando. Guerrero es uno de los países más pobres de México. Ves a las familias con sus hijos descalzos, con sus hijos sin ropa. Está, hay gente que, que no tiene día a día para, para ir comiendo. Esta escuela es la esperanza de muchas familias. 
es la esperanza de muchos chavos que quieren seguir adelante, que tienen ganas de salir adelante. Y pues aquí más que nada, ahora sí que te quitan la venda de los ojos, si pudiera decir, y ves la realidad. Las normales rurales se crearon a partir de la revolución. ¿Y cuál era el fin de esa revolución? Tierra, libertad y educación para hijos y campesinos. El gobierno, tanto federal, estatal, coludido con el municipal, para desaparecer las normales rurales. Porque ya no quieren educación. Ya, ya que contamos desgraciadamente con sistemas que, en donde operan policías corrompidos con la corrupción, con el narcotráfico. Nosotros no somos delincuentes, nosotros somos estudiantes que buscamos un mejor futuro. Mexico's attorney general says Iguala's mayor and wife were likely the masterminds behind the events. Under their orders, local police are accused of detaining the students before handing them to the Guerreros Unidos drug gang. Their disappearance has triggered a wave of demonstrations. El gobierno ha estado jugando con los sentimientos de los padres y de los alumnos de Ayotzinapa diciendo que pues, en un momento están muertos nuestros compañeros, en otro momento decir que están vivos. No les tengo confianza pues, a la PGR. Nosotros como padres de familia no, no tenemos confianza. La verdadera información con argumentos, con, con todo, o sea, que, que sea verídico. La gente sabe perfectamente que, que si no se manifiesta hoy en día, pues el que va a seguir pues, va a ser el 44, el 45 y van a seguir más. O sea, podría hoy surgir un modelo de, ese, de revolución, la revolución de conciencia. Those helping at today's convocation, please come up to the stage. Much of what transpired in the abduction of the 43 students in Ayotzinapa could be seen as distant because of the simple fact that this incident did not occur in the United States. If we're being honest, this probably feels distant to many of you here today. Last year, I mentioned the devastating effects that the US-backed trade initiatives had on the country of Mexico and how that feeds into situations including that of the 43 missing students. To be clear, trade initiatives that I'm speaking of are a result of US foreign policy, which has its roots in imperialist rhetoric. The trade initiative of primary focus that I detailed last year was the North American Free Trade Agreement, otherwise known as NAFTA, which allowed corporations in the United States, Mexico, and Canada to trade their products in one another's countries without taxes or tariffs. In simple terms, this doesn't, like, this, it doesn't seem like any bad will result from this initiative. The problem is that this trade initiative was of benefit to very few people comparatively in Mexico and was devastating for the country as a whole. In the United States, corn is subsidized by our government. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, I have no qualms with farmers making their livings in any society. The way agricultural production is managed on a larger scale 
in, in this society seems to be troubling in relation to NAFTA. Before 1994, the year NAFTA was signed into implementation, corn production in Mexico was primarily the task of the smaller country, or in the smaller farmer of that country. That is how many people who lived in rural areas made their living, um, including the 43 students. It also provided a living for much of the indigenous population in those areas. With NAFTA, the US government was able to flood Mexico with subsidized corn, taking over an economy that serviced many of its citizens. This was not the only drawback of this trade initiative. The peso also plummeted along with the economy of Mexico for the convenience of corporate profits. With this reformed economic structure, all these scenarios were possible and oftentimes not mutually exclusive. You could work a job your whole life, make a living, and lose that job. If you had your life savings and pesos at the time, which were most people in that country, your bank account would depreciate at a rate making it almost worthless because of the irrational implementation of US currency, specifically in trade. This also caused the Mexican government to go into major debt because of the low value of the peso currency. Essentially, NAFTA stripped many people of the resources and made it almost impossible for a lot of Mexicans to achieve socioeconomic mobili mobility. Our outside perception of this might interpret all of what I explained as modernization, when in reality it's economic destabilization. A key follow-up in this process is enabling of corporations to move their domestic factories to Mexico. Two specific things happen because of this. Jobs are lost in this country, and those same corporations pay citizens of other countries wages that keep them below the poverty line. If one sees the complexities of what has transpired in Mexico, it is not surprising to see so many people from that country cross the northern border to make a better life for themselves. We cannot talk of such incidents without approaching it from a holistic view. We must be aware of the overall context if we are able to have an effective dialogue. The 43 students protested because they believed they should have access to an education and not be crippled down by debt while trying to make a living farming and going to college to become teachers. Their voice was silenced by violence, but that doesn't mean their message should be ignored with their disappearance. It shouldn't be forgotten, especially in times like these. Currently, the US and many other countries, including Mexico, Canada, and countries in the European Union have agreed to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, which would allow corporations to sue national governments if they got in the way of their cash flow. This is not only problematic because of the simple fact that taxpayer money would go directly to foreign corporations, but is also disturbing because corporate hegemony in Mexico displaced many people by destroying the country's economy in the first place. If we are to honor the 43 students, I believe one way to live out their mission is to inform others of the inequity of this policy and ensure to the best of our abilities that the TPP does not pass. Thank you. Hi, my name is Maddie Berkey, and I'm a junior Spanish and journalism double major. Uh, Malcolm gave you some background on some of the ways that the US is in currently involved in what um, happened in Mexico over a year ago. I'm going to talk about one more initiative that has a direct tie to some current theories about what happened to the 43. The Merida Initiative was defined as a new security cooperative initiative between Mexico and the US to fight drug trafficking and organized crime with its goal being, I quote, to produce a safer and more secure hemisphere and prevent the spread of illicit drugs and transnational threats. But reality shows us that this is not meeting its goal. 
The Merida Initiative ignores two root causes of drug trafficking, U.S. demand and poverty in Mexico. With nearly 50 million people currently living in poverty in Mexico, crime and drug trafficking rates are skyrocketing. The most important issue with, and problem with this initiative is the threat that it imposes on the Mexican people's human rights. For example, um, according to the Witness for pa uh, Peace fact sheet, since 2007, there have been nearly 5,000 reports of human rights abuses to Mexico's National Human Rights Commission. Also, there have been almost hundreds of thousands of casualties of the war on drugs in Mexico, 15,000 of which occurred in the year 2010 alone. And these are just the reported casualties. The 43 missing students come from poor farming families and attended Ayotzinapa Teacher Training College, which helps meet the area's desperate need for teachers, better education, and economic reform. And our federal government is attempting to eliminate these types of schools. As Laura Carlson, director of the Mexico City-based Americas program of the Center for International Policy puts it, Mexico's young people have been targeted by the very people who are supposed to protect them and a moment in national history when their future is at stake. All of this to say that the war on drugs has never truly been about controlling drug trafficking. Its main focus is and always has been about social control. And because of this, Mexico's youth are the ones that are paying the price. The government is currently saying that the September 26th attack was actually a case of mistaken identity. The group of experts assembled by the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights concluded in its report that it was a violent and coordinated reaction to the students who were hijacking buses for transportation to a demonstration and may have unknowingly interfered with a drug shipment um, of one of the buses. Iguala, the city in southern Guerrero State where these attacks took place, um, is known as a transport hub for heroin going to the United States, specifically Chicago, um, some of it by bus, the report said. The business that moves the city of Iguala could explain such an extreme and violent reaction and the character of the massive attack on the 43. Only a charred bone fragment of one of the 43 has been identified, and it wasn't burned at the high temperature of incineration, contrary to Mexican investigators' original claims. So we currently have no evidence to support where the disappeared actually are. As the first anniversary of the events have passed, however, momentum is growing behind the hypothesis that the real target of the attack was not the students, but the bus they were traveling in. Speculation has focused on the theory that the students unwittingly commandeered the vehicle, which was carrying a hidden shipment of heroin to Chicago, um, which the corrupt police officers were dispatched to hunt down and recover. These new theories are the perfect example of how the Merida Initiative is still affecting the youth of Mexico today. Good morning, my name is Nami Salvador. I am a junior peace and justice and conflict major with a minor in environmental science. And today I'm going to present you a testimony of the 43 through the students and their indigenous resistance. For them, it's so real. For you, it might just seem so distant. It doesn't mean you're not complicit. Martin Luther King Jr. said once that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, and he was right. Ayotzinapa, Mexico, a town where people forcibly disappear as leaves fall in Goshen, people suffer the consequences of the cruel autumn of politics with high winds of corruption. The 43 students appear to have vanished in the eyes of the state, in the eyes of the public force, and in your eyes. It has not been recognized as your problem. Yet our group and their communities refuse to believe that they have left us. What kills us faster? The doubt of not knowing where they are cowardly hidden or the inability to fight back. For many, the inability to fight back is a privilege. 
yet indigenous communities sustain practices that predate colonial laws, and those are natural laws. The same that show us what resistance means in the face of daily oppression. It goes far beyond what National Geographic depicts to a white audience as a crude recount of our primitive practices, but in reality, it's harmonious coexistence. The ability to live with radical hope and bold resistance has become our everyday bread. One tattooed in our heart by testimonies of pain that our ancestors left us, now translated into deep wounds of colonization, and the other held tight in the fist we elevate when our struggles become public. We can't afford to forget, otherwise the effort to erase us from this nation would have been accomplished centuries ago, just as it was written in the constitution of this country. It is a moral aggression to our spirits and our communities to allow us ourselves the privilege of forgetting. We will not surrender to any empire, foreign or national. This is exactly what the 43 students have shown us that even when absent in body, their spirits are heard in winds of change, a revolution is coming, we hear them yelling. But you must not lay back and watch it come, but you should add your soul into the movement. To be indigenous means that you wake up every day acknowledging the sacredness around you, salute the sun as the contemplation of life, and pray to honor your creator, your ancestors, and all the life manifested around you. There is no necessity to romanticize this concept, but let us acknowledge that for many indigenous communities around the world, the earth is a divine mother. A new window opens, a new path is constructed. Once she was the mother of the poor, now she is the factory of privatized corporations. Indigenous populations possess the ability to see nature not only when outside, but in life. If you cannot find her beauty inside that dark classroom in cold Indiana, you will never be able to find her. This is important to mention because ecological justice is the foundation of social justice, and you cannot attain one without the other. The relationships that we establish with our Mother Earth is a vivid picture of how you treat those around you. To be indigenous means that your voice is able to make the whole system tremble. It means that we as indigenous populations are leading movements of conservation and environmental justice across the world. Even when there's not a single day when the intolerance towards our nation threaten us through some capital, capitalist interests that would rather see us banished before they dare to question a system that also oppresses them. But in some way, we're making sure that the children from all backgrounds will inherit a healed planet, one where its identity is no longer industrialism, one where its identity and dominant culture is not white culture because a culture that was born from the oppression of other cultures cannot be called a culture. While regaining and educating our spirits, we scare the crap out of governments. An oppressed population that works for autonomous communal education is a population that cannot be lied to easily. Our ideals are now listened around the world, and that means that we are no mascots or ghosts, but that we are present. Now let that sink in for a moment. The 43 students not only represent the conditions that the students in non-industrialized countries are attacked with, the violent repression that comes from exercising our rights, the sudden disappearance of our children that get evangelized by some crazy with the savior complex, creating a vicious cycle of endless injustices but they represent an indigenous community. I ask you to focus your attention to the origin of what it means to be an indigenous community in the majority of the world. 
They were indigenous. They came from a town that is so closely connected to Mother Earth that they live from her. Their sacred roots are nurtured with the compass that guides their trajectories while relying on traditions and ceremonies that unlock knowledge beyond measure. They inherited from their ancestors and they were working to pass it to their children. They live in a place where the economy is not measured by the GDP because the GDP cannot measure their courage or dignity. It cannot measure the passion they had to create a better world and to set an example for future generations and set an example here for students at Goshen College. What does it mean when your what does it mean what does your heart say when the government disappear your people? which means, where have you gone, my heart, in the indigenous language Nahuatl, one of the many Yusu Aztecan languages spoken in the region of the 43 students. The students come from indigenous heritage, and the Escuela Rural Normal de Ayotzinapa was one of the few institutes that provide a sheer force of opportunities for indigenous intellectual development. It is known to be a school of rebels with a cause, culturally rich, nurture, anti-oppression, social change agents, community leaders, grassroots organizers, anti-oppression, agriculture, and ancestral wisdom. Their existence means resistance. The whole idea of being an indigenous in the means of a chaotic 21st century, seeking to destroy the walls and boundaries that we have built between each other, because they are only lines on a map that show where xenophobia begins and where it gets worse. Their only crime as an indigenous nation has been to love life too much. Therefore, to, to demand for it to be respected. Their students to be respected because they were teachers. I myself grew up watching how leaders around me disappeared, how and were murdered, how our women were raped and disappeared, how, we could, how could we be easily displaced from our homes because we don't have a document that entitles ownership or domination over the land because she is our mother. But I can tell you what we own, and that is our dignity. Dignity translated into our resistance that we are not willing to exchange, sell, export, or give away no matter the time or the amount of systematic and industrial weapons used against us. Indigenous communities and the 43 have shown us what an embodied resistance means since 1492. The 43 students have given us a legacy and testimony of what happens and doesn't go public. So let's make it public. Let's shout in despair. Let it not make you comfortable, but encourage you to fight back. Let their testimony be a sacred testimony of resistance that we are willing to exchange and carry it with us. Thank you. We started this convocation with 43 students behind us. Some of them might be your classmates or your friends. Now there's no one behind us. They're all gone. How will you feel if your classmates or friends disappear just like the 43? How do you think their families will feel? Next, we will talk about why the four of us decided to be part of this convocation. Personally, I would like to say that I'm extremely privileged to be here, in front of you speaking another language in another country at this college. Many people back in Mexico would like to have this opportunity. Because of this privilege, I am here this morning talking about those whose voices will never make it this far. 
I encourage everyone here present to think about our privilege and to do something for those who don't have the same opportunities. I am tired of seeing capitalist societies all around the world damaging communities and cultures. Yes, I was fortunate enough not to be living in poverty back in Mexico. And because of this, I will not let my people and country be forgotten. I will not let the oppression and injustices happening every day in my country remain secret. What happened in Ayotzinapa, Guerrero has opened my eyes to the injustices of the world, but has also encouraged me to do something to make a difference. I've noticed that regardless of social status, educational level, origin, language, religion, obstacles, people saying we cannot do it, we are not worthy or intelligent enough, People who try to silence our voices, hurt our feelings, break our hearts, kill our people, our communities. We are the future of this world. Our voice and work does matter. And it is within us to make this place a better world for people of all continents. As Martin Luther King once said, of lives begin to end that day we become silent about the things that matter. There are many reasons why I have chosen to be here, but there is one particular that I would like to share with you. I'm here because this country has declared a war against Mother Earth and anyone who is not white and Christian. And indigenous populations have spoken. We will not let them continue this nonsense hidden behind this false concept of progress that worships capitalism. We will fight back until they stop burning the forest down, polluting the water, soil, and air, treating them as mere commodities. I'm here to say that all forms of life are sacred and the duty of our essence is to protect its existence. It is time to redefine our priorities. When Mother Earth talks, you should listen. So it might be uh, surprising to some of you that I'm participating in this convocation based on a uh, physical appearance alone. I was drawn uh, to this incident of the 43 missing students last year um, as I was privileged to take a Latin American studies course taught by Marcia Good, who's here today. And we'll wave. Or, yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, I've also been learning about US foreign policy for quite some time and was fascinated with the role that it plays in many places that seem distant from us. I'm also fascinated by the similarities in social movements across you know, borders. Um, last year I talked about the, similarity, the similarities that I saw in situations such as the 43 missing students and all that has transpired in Ferguson last year. Uh, I mostly focused on the overwhelming communal response from both movements. Uh, and now we see at universities such as Missouri and Yale and uh, even here, as some of you know about the bumper stickers and whatnot, um, how racism can still persist and sometimes, and in most cases, seem to be ignored institutionally. So there are similarities in the 43 students' demands and the students at those um, universities that I mentioned. Even with the difference of nation, uh, it is also important to recognize the connection while having sensitivity that we as college students in the United States have a much easier pathway um, than those 43 students, not because we're better people, uh, but because we enjoy the opportunities that are ultimately taken away from many others. Um, so the least I could do in this position is share my knowledge of situations such as the 43 missing students 
and make sure their goals and missions that they wanted to accomplish don't fade away in silence and complacency. Um, you also might be asking why is a privileged middle-class white girl standing here talking to me about things that are happening in Mexico? Um, why should someone like me care? I stand before you because like the 43 missing in Mexico, I'm a student. I want to learn and I want to understand, but I am safe. I don't go to class worrying about whether I'll make it back alive or not. And as someone who is studying journalism, I believe there can be positive power in the media. I also believe in the power of community and the strength and strength in numbers. Last year we were recognized uh, for the convocation we held in multiple news sources, and that was only a small effort, but something that did make a difference. And change has to start somewhere. And below we have a sheet here that we're gonna ask you to come up um, right after this and sign your name. And by doing something su such as that, uh, each and every one of you here today can contribute to the change um, by raising positive awareness. If we can come together as a small community, we can make a large difference. So we're gonna have a time where we're gonna have some music played and you're welcome to come forward and sign your name in support of the families um, who are missing their loved ones. Hoy me levanté con el ojo pegado Ya miré el infierno, ya miré las noticias Fosas, muertos, daño a madre naturaleza Ambición, poder Y a mí me agarró la depresión Todos quieren tajo del petróleo triste Y a quemar la madre tierra con urgencia Hacer más carros para gastar más dinero Como si pudieras comprarte la felicidad Y todo amaneció mejor, mejor Y todo amaneció mejor, mejor Todo amaneció mejor, mejor Y todo amaneció
to invite Saulo Padilla to the scenario because he has a very important message that he wants to share with you guys. Hello everyone, my name is Saulo Padilla. I work for, MC, for Maryland Central Committee US. In 1978, my father was protesting in Guatemala City and he was kidnapped and he disappeared for about two weeks and then uh, that threw us into uh, a push to move into Mexico. In 1980, my family went to Mexico and we entered as exiles or as a refugees. By 1986, we were going to Canada as political refugees as well and uh, we lived there for 16 years. In 2001, I came to Goshen College to study. In 2002, I went uh, to the border with Maryland Central Committee to do a learning tour. And I became aware of all the issues that were happening there. And one of them was NAFTA and how that was affecting the border communities. Today, I work for Maryland Central Committee US as Immigration Education Coordinator. And one of my jobs, and one of the things that I really like to do is to bring awareness to the issues happening at the border. So for the next uh, spring break in February, from February 20 to 27, I would like to invite you to come with me to the border if you have the time and would like to come. Uh, I'm doing a learning tour. We'll be talking about uh, migrant deaths and since October of last year to October of this year, 137 people died in the desert, the remains of 137 people who are found in the desert in Arizona. And the deaths continue. So that's a big issue. Militarization of the border continues. And if you uh, Google right now or hashtag uh, refugees or migration, you will see how much is coming out about the issues of migration. If you're a social worker, if you're interested in peace and justice, if you're interested in the environment, uh, all those issues will be touched during this learning tour. So I invite you to come. So once again, the dates are uh, Saturday, February 20th to Saturday, February 27th. Um, the cost of the learning tour is $500, and if you're interested, please let me know. We can do a little bit of fundraising. I have a couple of churches that have offered some scholarships as well, so do not, do not be intimidated by that. Uh, that is also uh, $500 plus airfare, so it will be about $900 for the cost of the whole learning tour. But do not be afraid. Let me know, and we can work something out if you are interested in coming. Um, we will be meeting in, at the border with, uh, with migrants in the other side of the border, people who are in migration, deportees. We'll be meeting with border patrol officers. We'll be the, uh, visiting an ICE detention center in Florence, in Arizona. And uh, we will be trying to get stories from everyone uh, to educate us and inform us of what's happening in the border. I hope that you can come and that you can uh, uh, Come talk to me. There are all the people here in the, um, in the college that are working on this. And you can talk to Jessica, Anya, and some other people who have information about this too. We have a registration page online uh, at mcc.org. And I will be sticking around here if you're interested as well, so if you have any questions. Thank you very much. If you haven't gotten a chance to sign, you still can. But um, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for coming. And please spread the word. <laughs>